Hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Marie. Before we get started with this episode, I have a quick question for you. What are you doing to improve your Spanish this summer? Summer is a time for vacations, for getting away, and you might even be planning on visiting a Spanish-speaking country. So it is the perfect time to improve your conversational skills because let's face it, if you've been learning Spanish for any length of time and you haven't been having regular conversations, you are going to fall behind. So this summer, we are not gonna let you do that. Here at Spanish Con Salsa, we are offering a summer boot camp. This is an eight-week boot camp that will focus on Caribbean Spanish and also Spanish grammar. So we're gonna be looking specifically at the past tense. A lot of people get confused between el imperfecto, el preterito, when do I use which one? And we're also gonna be exploring the Caribbean with Puerto Rican Spanish, Cuban Spanish, and Dominican Spanish. So you will have an opportunity opportunity to improve your Spanish and you'll also be able to attend regular conversation practice sessions facilitated by a native speaker all as a part of our Spanish fluency club this summer so if you are interested go to spanishconsalsa.com slash summer that's spanishconsalsa.com slash summer Registration is open now through Sunday. We have limited spots available. So if you're interested, I encourage you to press pause now before you listen to this episode. Scroll down to the description and click on the link or just go to SpanishConSalsa.com slash summer. Hope to see you in the boot camp. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from beginner to bilingual. Here is your host, certified language coach, Tamara Marie. Hola, bienvenidos al episodio 132. Welcome to episode 132 of the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. In this week's episode, I am actually going to be the interviewee. So I will not be doing the interview this week, but I'm giving you an opportunity to hear someone else interview me. So I recently sat down with Ali Richards um, in episode 126 of this podcast to talk about story learning, which is learning languages, uh, Spanish. He also covers lots of other languages um, and a method to learn through story. Um, and I was actually also on Ali's podcast and I'm sharing that interview with you today in case you have not checked it out yet where he is asking me all about learning Spanish with music, how I came up with this concept um, and sort of how Spanish con salsa got started. So uh, I hope you enjoy learning a little bit more about me and hearing me in the seat of the interviewee in this week's episode. Uh, we will be back next week with an all new episode of the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, but enjoy my conversation with Ali Richards. I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking with Tamara Marie, who is the founder of Spanish Con Salsa, where, which is the best name in the world, I think, where Spanish learners can learn through the fun of Latin music. In our conversation, she shares the many advantages of learning languages through music, why narratives and rhythm are such powerful memory enhancers, and how she herself got fluent in Spanish. And you all know that I am a big advocate for learning through stories, 
and I am a musician as well. And so you won't get any arguments from me. What Tamara does is absolutely awesome. So without any further ado, Tamara, welcome to the show. Gracias, Ali. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. It's, uh, it's long overdue. We've been friends for years. And I remember being there at the inception of the name of, uh, of, um, of Spanish con salsa. Maybe you could tell the story of, uh, of how that came to be. Yes, um, it's funny. Um, I remember when we were in Montreal. So at the time, it was the I think it was about the North American Polyglot Symposium, something very fancy, name. but they they name. changed the name yeah. to Langfest, thankfully. Mm. <laughs> and we were in this cafe in, in Montreal on the lunch break, and we were talking about, you know, what we were all doing and kind of just having a chat. And, you know, we were talking like, okay, so what, what do you do? What do you do with languages? Do you do, do you have a business? And I was like, well, not really. I don't, you know, <laughs> it's really into it. And uh, we started talking about, you know, dancing salsa and how that's how I got into uh, learning Spanish and how it really helps me. And Al, you told me that you actually had a little bit of a background there with salsa as well, which I was I surprised do. to hear. Yeah. I don't look like it, but I do. <laughs> and um, you said, wow, you know, that would be really, really great. There's so many people who dance salsa all over the world. It's like, yeah, that's true. And a lot of them don't speak Spanish or don't understand um, the music uh, that they're listening to and dancing to. And I remember you sort of challenged me and said, you know, Spanish con salsa, if you, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. And I said, okay, let's take the challenge. <laughs> and I got back to Baltimore, got back home and I got my logo done like within a week and I was off, off running. So yes, you were there at the inception. <laughs> yeah. And I thank you for that push to actually get me to, to actually do it. Cause it's, it was, it was a no brainer cause it's the way that I learned, but um, I wasn't really thinking very much about business at the time. I was just thinking about, you know, having a passion for language. So, yeah, well, I mean, all of these, everything that we start comes from somewhere, right? I mean, when I often tell the story of how I started, I will teach you a language was uh, the reason was because I just happened to read a book um, by Chris Gillibo called The Hundred Dollar Startup that uh, had a, a chapter or mentioned Benny Lewis from Fluent in Three Months. And the, and the book said something like, and Benny writes about languages on his blog and earns a full-time living whilst traveling around the world. And I thought, hey, I could do that. <laughs> and if it wasn't for that, for reading that chapter of that book, I probably would never have started um, my own thing. So, you know, we, these things always come from one kind of one pivotal moment, um, a lot like language learning as well. You know, we often uh, we often start a language or fall in love with a language or really start to take a language seriously because of one tiny little moment that seems insignificant at the time, but then is actually a, a huge turning point. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you learned Spanish and what is your, paint the picture for us, your, your background with Spanish and um, how it links to music. Well, it's interesting. I think like like most people in the US, it's we were sort of made to pick a foreign language at some point in, in middle school. So probably when I was around 12 years old, it's like, oh, you have to pick a language. And at the time it was like French or Spanish. And um, everyone said, oh, Spanish is easier. So I chose Spanish, right? Like, so um, I would say that that, I, I say it just because it was my first exposure to the language. Was it helpful to me? Um, <laughs> very limited uh, way. I mean, and I took Spanish throughout um, high school as well. And, you know, we were doing verb conjugation charts and, you know, talking about the days of the week and the months of the year. And we, we didn't really ever have anything conversational. But because I had had that exposure, I naively thought um, that I knew some Spanish and probably about 10 years after I graduated high school, I decided to leave the country for the first time. 
So I was looking around of where to go and, and somehow I found this language school in Panama. I said, oh, I'll just go there. I'll do some excursions. I'll do the whole solo traveler thing. It'll be great. It'll be a piece of cake. I know some Spanish. And <laughs> I remember getting to the airport and, you know, trying to fill out the customs forms and like, okay, I've got this down. I know what to say. Um, they're going to ask me what my address is. So I just kept thinking in my head, okay, I just need to remember the word dirección because that's address. Okay, they're going to ask me where I'm staying. And I get there to the line. They're like, siguiente, like next person. And I didn't understand anything. I'd never heard the word dirección. I didn't know what he was asking me for. I just handed him a paper because I actually wrote down my address of where I was staying at this bed and breakfast. And I get, kind of gave it to him. And I was like hoping they would let me in the country because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so I quickly learned when I actually tried to use my sort of high school Spanish skills in the real world that um, it wasn't working out too well. And I did take classes for about a week when I was in Panama, but that really did encourage me that when I got back home, I would take it a little bit more seriously. So I think it's really that failure to, that propelled me into taking the language more seriously as an adult. And sort of around the same time, um, I had a friend that was trying to lose a lot of weight and she was starting to work out. So I didn't really have to lose weight, but I, I just wanted to be active, right? Because I had a very sedentary job. I was working in an office and I said, sure, I'll, I'll go with you to the gym. And um, I saw this class like in the back and it was like the lights were dim and there was like this really short little energetic uh, instructor at the front. And she was just moving and everyone was like partying. And, they, and I was like, what is going on in there? And um, that was Zumba, it was a Zumba class. And I got addicted to Zumba, <laughs> started going there. And once again, naively thought that because I could do Zumba that I could dance salsa, uh, which I had a rude awakening when I went to my first salsa class and they did partner work. And I said, oh, I have to dance with someone else. <laughs> um, so yeah, and so I think sort of like the union of those two things, like me having that travel experience um, in Panama where it was, you know, I, I really couldn't understand what people were saying despite having some background with Spanish and then also just sort of getting involved in the Latin dance community that really just sort of brought everything together for me. And then Spanish was just a part of my life. So it was natural for me to, to put some effort towards getting better. You say it was part of your life. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit more about that. Was that because the, because of the, the, the Spanish in the music or because of the people you met when you were dancing? How did that, what did that look like? It's really all of the above. I mean, I think that's that's the thing about music. Um, it's part of culture, right? Language is also part of culture. These things don't exist in a vacuum. So as I became exposed to the music, first through, you know, sort of like a Zumba class, but then later actually going to classes, uh, meeting people, being a part of the community. Um, it's a really diverse community, but there obviously are people who are native Spanish speakers that, are, that dance Latin dance. And I was just meeting people, I was listening to the music, I was dancing to it, I wanted to understand it because there were all these amazing songs and I'd be singing along sometimes and sometimes I knew the words, sometimes I didn't, I was just sort of faking it. And, uh, but I was really driven to understand what it was I was saying. Um, so it became just sort of a natural thing because I was going out dancing all the time. I was listening to the music when I wasn't out dancing. Um, I was taking classes and I was meeting people. So I, I just decided, you know, I'm going to to make an effort to speak more, to practice, to, to learn not just the songs, but how to have a conversation. So it really did make, it, it gave me a natural reason to want to to learn the language other than just sort of, oh, it's a, it's a it would be fun to do, right? It was just, um, all, I was always around it and always being exposed to it. So it just, it was more natural for me to incorporate the culture in, in that way. You've got that dual 
dual prong of motivation and consistency as well, which is sometimes exactly. so hard to manufacture if you don't have this reason why. So on the one hand, you're really motivated because you've got uh, this thing that you love, but then through the community and that routine, you then got consistency. So you're actually just showing up every day or a few times a week, and then you're just getting that as part of your life. And it's 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 really easy to see in that way how the language can kind of just follow. Not without work, of course, but it's the perfect right. it's the perfect scenario for, uh, for, for for you to kind of develop uh, a knowledge of the language. So, what does when you think of Spanish, what does music mean for you? What does um, I'm not entirely sure what what I'm asking here, but often people ask me the question, you know, what how does music? Is there a link between music and languages? And, and it's a very difficult question to answer, but when you think of Spanish, do you think of music or vice versa? When you think of music, do you think of Spanish? Like, well, it's interesting for me. I always tell people that, you know, because sometimes people ask like, well, you know, how do you learn a language through music? Because sometimes doesn't the music get in the way, right? Like the melody and like I'm focused on that, not necessarily the words. Um, but there's a few things that I'd say about that. One, just from sort of when we're like toddlers, right, or babies, and we our first sort of language activity, a lot of our early language memories have melody and have rhythm and have music. I always ask people like, okay, if, if I were to ask you what letter in the alphabet comes after O, right? A lot of times in your head, you have this like internal dialogue where you're singing the alphabet song, right? <laughs> OP, right? So there's so many links we have and music has this way of just getting into our brains and not letting go of our memories. And um, the emotional component of that also sort of latches onto us. Um, because we have these memories that um, that are that are important to us or they're pivotal to our lives. So I think that our earliest memories of language actually do have a lot to do with music. And with with Spanish in particular, and you know, and I'm I'm not sure sort of how it is in, in Spain as much because my experience is more of Latin America, but Latino culture is like so imbued with music. I mean, if you go to a party or a get together, there's always music playing, people are dancing, you know, it, and it doesn't have to be a dance party. I think people kind of misunderstand it. Like, oh, you're at a club. No, it's dinner. Like we're just having dinner. There's music playing and let's, let's dance right now. I mean, it's just such a part of Latino culture. And there's songs that literally like everyone knows, even if they're from different countries, because there's certain artists that are, you know, very popular internationally. So you go to a party and people just break out in song and everyone knows the same song. So I think um, my observation as a part of the culture, it's just very, very present. So it's really hard to ignore. And it's really hard to learn Spanish without having that component because you'll find yourself in many social situations where you're completely lost because it's such a part of how people live their lives. Um, in Latin American countries, in the Caribbean especially, um, music is just ever present. So it's really difficult to separate the two. And for me, because that was sort of my gateway into the language, I got a lot of insight into the people that speak it as well and not just sort of, oh, I'm really good at grammar, right? Um, it was, I, I have an understanding of why, you know, sort of people are the way they are um, and why the cultural norms are the way they are through the music. So for me, you can't separate Latino culture from its music. And there's so much transmitted, uh, so much meaning transmitted through the music. Um, and of course, you know, through the vehicle of language. So it all really ties together. It is interesting, isn't it? When you, um, you ask the question, you know, what does music have to do with language? The answer may be more, more or less 
clear. But then if you ask the but then if you ask the question, imagine that you removed language from the from the music. So you, music was no longer a part of Spanish or in Portuguese in the case of Brazil. It's, it's, it's impossible, it just doesn't work. You take music away from Brazilians or music away from Cubans and you don't have the culture anymore. So no. it's almost like it's kind of, it's something, the idea of what music means to a language can kind of be crystallized by imagining what it would be like if that were removed. And I mean, I guess you could make the same argument for any culture. I mean, you know, what would what would America be without rock and roll? What would what would the UK be without without uh, you know kind of Beatles and uh, and all that kind of the music from that that time? I think it's a bit different because we don't have. I mean, it's very important culturally, but I don't know what it's like there. But you don't go to house parties here and find people, you know dancing around before dinner it just doesn't it just doesn't happen <laughs> right. and, it, and if they to the extent that they do is with a beer in one hand and kind of just leaning against the wall you know it's yeah. not exactly a high high highbrow uh you know deep culture or, or anything um I, I i kind of had um my major interaction with this in, in brazil with portuguese rather, rather than with spanish because I, I learned my spanish actually before i got into spanish music um so when I when I learned to dance salsa, for example, my experience was more like, oh, the music's cool, and I also understand what they're saying. So it was kind of an easier routine. But with but with Portuguese, I learned my Portuguese through music by learning bossa nova and uh, songs and things like that. So I, I kind of I know exactly what you mean when you talk about that expression and that passion of the music and the language. So I imagine then that with Spanish con salsa you bring music and your experience of Spanish music and Latin music to the task of learning Spanish. Tell us about that. How, how do you, how do you, how do you marry those two things? Well, it's, it's actually quite natural the way, the way it works. And a, a lot of people that are attracted to Spanish con salsa, they find the name and they, they, they've already heard Latin music, right? They already probably listened to it and they don't understand it. So it's a very natural curiosity. We're like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and so I start with the perspective of giving a little bit of the cultural uh, background, because I think it's really important. You can't really just take a, a, a song or, or any language for that matter and sort of take it into a vacuum and try to sort of explain, right? What does this really mean? Especially not with music because there's so much built into it. Like who is the artist? Where are they from? Why is that important? And not that, you know, I give like a, an essay on or anything like that, but I do start, try to explain sort of an introductional way that these things matter, right? Every country in Latin America has its own history, its own culture, its own way of speaking Spanish. You can't really just sort of apply this boilerplate idea of this so-called neutral Spanish uh, to the learning experience, in my opinion. So I start off with, with giving that context, right? Why does this speaker from Puerto Rico sound like this versus the, the song that you might hear from, from Cuba that sounds a little bit different? So I try to give some of that context because it also speaks to some of the, the language that um, is used in the music, quite frankly. There are words that are completely different in different countries, and it's not just slang. I think people misunderstand that there's only this like informal sort of language that's spoken by young people that's in the street, and it's all slang, and it's not proper. There is some of that, but, but by and large, there are just words and phrases that are just different because of the country, because of the culture, because of the history, because of the indigenous languages that have interfaced with Spanish in those different countries. 
So if you don't have an appreciation for that, you can get lost really, really quickly with Latin American Spanish because you, you won't be understanding things and you won't know why. So I try to demystify that from the beginning so that people really get an idea uh, of, of why the stuff matters and why the culture matters. So I start with that perspective, but then, you know, I use opportunities in music to teach things like, like grammar that would otherwise probably be pretty boring. So for example, there's a song uh, by Mark Anthony called Valeo La Pena, which as you know, means it was worth it. And people go, oh, but it's a song. And I'm like, yeah, but people say that all the time. Vale la pena. It's worth it. It's a part of daily conversation. It's not this poetic phrase. So I try to, to use the music and the lyrics to give examples of things that can actually be used in day-to-day -day conversation um, and use that as the context for it. So I've had students, for example, who you know have come across a situation where they had to use a particular phrase and they'll go, oh, I remembered that Mark Anthony song, <laughs> um, you know, because it really does drill uh, words and phrases into the memory. So uh, that's really the approach. And, and I also really focus on listening comprehension because a lot of people struggle with understanding native speakers. Um, and to me, using authentic content where you're listening to native speakers who are making content for other native speakers, right? It's not a Spanish course. It's not, you know, I'm going to talk very slow and formally. Hola, como esta usted? It's like, no, they're just talk, like they're in it. The music starts and you got to You got to catch up. So I think that that's important because, you know, we don't encounter music in the real world. I'm sorry, we don't encounter language in the real world um, with sort of, you know, transcripts walking around underneath of us and, and where everything's going to be nice and slow the way we want it. It's only going to have the vocabulary that was in our Spanish course. That's not how the real world works. So I, I try to really get people to focus on using the music for listening comprehension because it has a repetition, has the melody built in. You're listening to native speakers. You start to get used to the cadence of the language, how people talk. Even though I know singing is not the same as sort of conversational Spanish, um, but at the same time, you're hearing a native speaker using the language in the real world, right? In a real, real world yeah. context. So it really does help tune your ear uh, to the language as well as enjoy the music. I was going to ask you about this because often, you know, when I used to teach English, people would, people teaching with music would be a kind of very kind of popular way of doing things and all textbooks would have songs in them. It was very popular in the sort of 2000s to teach in that way. But I'd always say that to people like, be careful learning through English music because we don't talk like we sing. Like words to English pop songs are just nothing like real life for the most part. But it's not the case in Spanish, is it? I mean, I've never really thought about this, but if I just you know to just bring to mind a few spanish songs that i know and i'm not going to sing them so don't ask me to but um but the the lyrics are then they're, they're, it's pretty much standard spanish isn't it you know it's not too removed from daily conversation yeah it, it is it is very much i mean because a lot of the songs are about things that happen in life day to day i mean even the the, the content of the song sometimes are telling stories i mean there's one song for instance uh, by a, a band called El Gran Combo de Puerto Rico, which is like the big band you know, from uh, Puerto Rico. It's a salsa band. They've been around for years and years, and they have this one song. Uh, it's called No Hago Mas Nada, which is literally I like I don't do anything else, right? Like I'm sitting around, and he's literally just telling what he does in a day, right? He's like, I wake up, I you know I get yeah. dressed, and I eat lunch. I mean, he's telling a very basic story, and you could you could really hear someone saying that stuff if you go to Puerto Rico. It's not like you won't ever hear that. So, and I, and I also think the way that Spanish speakers talk, especially from the Caribbean, where a lot of salsa music is from, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, 
they have this sort of saying that they they uh, they talk like they're singing, right? They say hablamos cantando because they're always like the right, just the way yeah. that they speak the language has a rhythm, it has a flow. It and doesn't so sound like English so influenced speakers. by the music that yeah yeah because it is interesting that like I think about boleros. I used to learn learn a, load, learn a load of boleros, Mexican boleros, not just Mexican, but often Mexican, and. Um, it's very straightforward language. I'm thinking of a song like uh, Contigo en la Distancia. Do you, you know that song? Mm-hmm. No existe un momento en el día en que pueda olvidarte de mí. Ah, I did get you to sing. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> but like, no, it's very straightforward language. No existe un momento mm-hmm. en el día. There is no time in the day en que pueda olvidarte de mí. Um, mm-hmm. Olvidarme de ti. I can't remember which way around it is. Um, and, uh, but that's like, you could say that, you know, it's, it's just, right. it doesn't, it, there's no, um, there's no funny business there. It's like good, like great language. So it's interesting. Like, do people, do they sing like they talk or do they talk like they sing? And probably a bit of both, right? Cause you get brought yeah. up on this music and it's just part of the culture. So it's, 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 it's fascinating. So you mentioned teaching the culture. You mentioned, um, you mentioned teaching listening comprehension. You mentioned teaching grammar through the um, through through the, the words of the song, and this is this is wonderful. Now I know that so many people will be listening to this. Thinking, this is just no pun intended, but music to my ears. You know, this is uh, <laughs> why can't all learning um, be like this? Um, and so, what makes this? It's, it's kind of, I was about to ask what makes this effective. It's kind of obvious what makes it effective right? because you're <laughs> linking it. If you're linking it with stuff that you enjoy, then uh, everything's more effective. Where, where, what, what, in what elements of this approach do you have to kind of get more serious, or um, step back and say, like, here we go. We've, we've used music as much as we can, but now it's actually time to uh, open up those grammar books or whatever. Like, well, what are the? Um, how do you, how do you keep it kind of based in in, in reality, as it were? Yeah. Well, there's two ways. And one, I never open the grammar books. Uh, you know, I don't do that. What I say is that it, I let sort of the context drive it. So, for example, if someone gets really curious about, uh, for instance, with the example of Valio La Pena, that I can provide the introduction, I'll provide the context, I'll provide the explanation. But if they want to delve more into, for example, for example, the preterite past tense because of that, because they're curious about the structure of the language, because they've been exposed to this, that's sort of something they would do on their own. I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time going through grammar because I think the most important way or or the best way to really learn it is through the examples and, and kind of seeing how it's used in context. So that's what I focus on. But I do think that sometimes a subject that may seem boring becomes more interesting because you're driven to understand something specific. So yeah, someone might open up a a textbook and and do a deep dive on it because their interest has been piqued. But it's not something I really, uh, really focus on. But the things that I do say that um, in terms of getting serious, quote unquote, are really just making a commitment, really, is that one, the consistency in the time. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, like I have a playlist in Spanish. Like I've I've gone to YouTube and I've Googled some of those really poorly done uh, lyrics videos. <laughs> and so, like, I got it right. And no, you don't. Um, there's many people who spend time listening to the radio in Spanish, listening to Latin music, and they have no idea what's being said. So we already kind of know that that doesn't work. It's not a passive exercise. So particularly for listening comprehension, I encourage people to take some time to sit down and do active listening, where they're actually looking at the lyrics, you know, doing that sort of 
a semi-redacted sort of a reading where they're looking at some of the words exposed. I take them through a few activities where you actually have to sit down and pay some focused attention. So it's not something you can do while you're like working out, for example, or, you know, I'm, I'm in the car on my way to work and I'm just listening to it. So I got it. That's not really uh, the case. You can do that in your free time, but that's not sort of your, your active learning time. Um, and the other part is applying it in conversation. Um, there's so many people who are learning Spanish for years and never speak the language. And I think that happens with, with, with lots of languages, but I know in particular people do have this fear of sounding silly or they say, oh, I don't have anyone to talk to in Spanish. There's no one around me. There's all these barriers, right, to having those conversations. So we provide that opportunity as well. And I've actually built up a pretty decent team over the few years where I have Spanish speakers from all over Latin America that are language coaches that sit and they facilitate conversations. And they're so friendly. I mean, I've had people that were so intimidated, like, oh my gosh, I, I've never spoken before, but, but we've got, we've got a team of, of, of speakers that will make you feel comfortable, you know, speaking the language. So we try to remove that barrier where it's like, I don't have anyone to talk to. I'm really afraid to talk. Um, and we and we have discussions and we have conversations and then that's where we get more focused on specific things. Um, and, and the other piece to that, um, having a community sort of built around it, I think is also really helpful. But I do think that there's something to the fact that music sort of takes away some of that apprehension that people have about speaking. I know sometimes people say, oh, maybe you should go, you know, have a glass of wine and you'll speak more freely, like when you're learning a language, but you don't really have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you could also just like listen to a, a great song and, and save some of your brain cells and um, you'll loosen up just the same. So I think using the music in our lessons as well makes our conversation sessions just run a lot smoother. So we have group sessions we do for people who sign up in our more formal program, but we also have sort of like a self-study option where people can book private lessons. But the idea is that they get speaking. I always say, don't move on to your next lesson until you've had a conversation about it because you're not using it. And if you don't do that and you're not consistent, then I don't care how many songs you listen to. You're not just going to get fluent by osmosis. You have to actually put forth <laughs> some yeah. effort. But I think the music helps shed some of that apprehension to get people speaking too. I had a comment the other day from someone. Sometimes I get these comments because I publish a lot of stuff on YouTube and increasingly on social media and stuff and i often get questions from people who are considering um learning with one of my courses um and i'm just, they maybe can sometimes start to doubt my opinions on things like so for example one of one of the uh one of the questions i often i often get from from, from prospective students is um you know what variety of spanish do you teach because you know I, you teach Iberian Spanish, right? But I, but I, I, I'm worried about that because I want to learn Mexican Spanish, mm-hmm. and I've gotten I've gotten got quite used to explaining why that isn't important over the years, because you know quite quite simply, 99% of all Spanish is the same anyway, and if you go from one country to the next, it's, it's small changes that take place which you learn anyway once you start to spend time in that culture. Um, and so, you know, your task is, your main task is to learn the, the, the kind of core language itself one way or another. But I got a question the other day, which was um, more geared towards pronunciation. And this is why I'm asking you for your opinion on this, because I think it's quite related to, to music. The question was um, not about the variety of Spanish, but particularly about the pronunciation. So, oh, yeah, I, I'm worried about taking your course because... 
in your pronunciation videos, your teacher is from Spain. But I want to learn whatever it was, Costa Rican pronunciation. How would you answer that? That is very interesting. So this is also a question that I get a lot, but I actually think that I tend to go the opposite way, right? I usually tell people, um, one, to look at the reason that you're learning, right? So if someone's very specific, like if they say, I want to learn Costa Rican Spanish, maybe they want to retire in Costa Rica, then I go, then go all in on Costa Rica, like listen to content from Costa Rica, listen to music from Costa Rica, because you'll get used to the way Costa Ricans speak. I think that with Spanish in particular, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, on in the Western Hemisphere, and we have so many different varieties of Spanish here, that I sort of, I don't look at it as as from pronunciation that, oh, it's it's all sort of pretty standard. I mean, even the people say that there's Latin American Spanish accent, there's a few features of the language that are that are common to Latin America, but there is not one type of pronunciation that sort of can take right. you through the entire hemisphere. So my opinion on it is to kind of pretend that you're an adopted child of a, of a Spanish family, right? Like, so if you're very interested in Argentina and you want to move to Buenos Aires, then like pretend that that's where you live, like do some type of immersion where that's where you focus your, your content consumption on so that what you're hearing is that accent. Because especially if you're, beginner or like lower intermediate it's very very difficult for you to understand when you hear those differences in the accents you'll just go i don't understand any of it and you don't realize it's because i'm listening to a spaniard and they they speak very very fast and they have a, a very specific accent and in different parts of spain the accents are even different very, you know so i think it can demotivate people when they hear something they don't understand and they don't know that the reason for that is that the accent is something they're not familiar with and when you're at the lower levels you can't ascertain that so I think it does a disservice yeah. to sort of just assume that it's all the sort of neutral um, neutral pronunciation. So I actually tell people to get very specific about it. If they don't have a specific goal, then it, yeah, okay, then, then maybe do something a little bit broader. Mm. But if you're like, I want to go to Dominican Republic, I want to retire there. You really need to focus because the, the way Spanish is spoken in the Dominican Republic does not sound anything like Mexican Spanish or anywhere else for that matter. And you really, really do have to get used to that accent and the vocabulary. So um, I don't know. I say I think for pronunciation and even for for learning some words for like basic things, it, it's important if you have a specific goal to focus on that country or on that region because when you're especially for pronunciation and listening comprehension, it is so jarring. I mean, I know the first time I heard some uh, when I, I visited Argentina and I had not planned on going there um, at all, but that's a whole other story. Um, and just first hearing that accent, that very strong, like sort of Porteño accent was like, whoa, like I had to adjust. Yeah. I had to adjust and I had no real interest in the culture at that time. So it's it's not like I, I mean, I had some vague ideas of, OK, they use voice and they, you know, whatever. And they say, show me, show me, stuff like that. But um, it was difficult to to sort of adjust to. But I was already pretty advanced at that point. Had I been a beginner yeah. or at like lower intermediate level, just barely conversational, I would have been lost. So I think it's important but, to, but I guess to direct like, that a bit. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, but I guess what, what I would really want to say to that person is that it's it, any journey that you're going to be on to learn Spanish is going to be so much longer than kind of one course or one program. You, you're going to be you're going to be learning this language for years, right? And um, and so the 
because because you're you're absolutely right when you say that you know you can you come head to head with another action and you and you really do have to adjust when you're a beginner like you don't have to you don't to be honest you don't understand anything anyway exactly right? <laughs> and so like so it's so the the idea that you're going to have that you, your your pronunciation your and your future Spanish are going to live or die on on uh, the particular pronunciation you learn in one place it's, it's it, it doesn't it's not a sensible question I don't think but then the, the trouble is that the, these um as soon as you get into any kind of answer so nuanced it's kind of it's, it's already too late because yeah yeah <laughs> you've got to, you, well you, you pithy responses. Well, I can tell you just a, a quick story of this happened to me. I was at a party, actually, one of my uh, salsa friends having a party, and it, it's very international crowd. And I spent a little bit of time there talking to a friend who was from Greece. And I, I got really interested in talking. I was like, wow, I don't know anyone from Greece. I don't know anything about Greek. Like, So we started talking about language. And she told me that she had learned in school, she started learning sort of more like British English. And when she came to America, she said she couldn't have conversations with anyone for a full year and really understand what was going on because she was so used to the British accent and British English that she had learned in school. That surprised me yeah. because I have never had that experience, but hearing her say she started learning English in grade school and then as an adult, she moved, you know, in her, probably in her 20s, she moved to the US and she thought, I know English. And it took her a year to be able to feel comfortable in a conversation. To me, that is, that is really telling. So I think that's why I said having goals is important. If you're just sort of learning Spanish as sort of a hobby and you don't have anything specific, then then sure, take a course, get the foundation. But if you know, for instance, you're going to move to the U.S., why would you sign up for a British, a course by someone who's speaking British English because it won't serve you? So I think it's just about efficiency and time. If you if you're just doing it sort of for leisure, sure, like just get the foundation, go on the journey. But if you want to save some time, why spend all this time sort of you know, fumbling around with all these different varieties of Spanish, because I think it'll take a lot longer to understand anything if you're not focused. When you hear someone teaching you pronunciation from one particular perspective and you hear, uh, you, you get used to that that speech pattern, but then you're saying, oh, but I'm going to go to Mexico. It really, it really is very different. So I think it just, it, it just makes you take a lot longer. And I'm all about efficiency. Like pick, make a decision. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, <laughs> there's a difference, I guess, to be drawn as well between accent and pronunciation, right? Because, yeah. Um, anyway, we're going to just getting into the weeds here. But on yeah. on on that on that point, though, so how do you approach this issue of accent and pronunciation, though, with songs? Because I imagine you don't just teach using Mexican music or using Cuban music. So, what what are the conversations that you have with your community around? Like, uh, here are the what do you tell them they have to consider when you when you when you're playing the music from all over the the Latin American world? Well, so because it's salsa music, a lot of it is focused on the Caribbean. Um, and when I say the Caribbean, I don't just mean sort of the islands, you know, uh, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic that most people think of, but actually Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica—they all have Caribbean coasts. So there's like this huge sort of Caribbean culture that's almost sort of. It's not really separate. It's part of like Latin culture, Latino culture as a whole, but it's it, it's really kind of its own subculture if you think of it that way. So a lot of the pronunciation features um, are very similar uh, in, in those different regions of countries of where salsa music comes from or where bachata music or the genres that I, I focus on. So I don't do Mexican music. I don't do Spanish music. I don't do music for Argentina. Most of it comes from that region. 
So because there's so many similarities, I'm able to point those out. But what I what I tend to call out more is the difference between um, sort of the colloquial sort of speech and what's standard, because there are several uh, aspects of pronunciation of Spanish in the Caribbean that are very different from <laughs> a lot of the rest of the uh, Latin world. So, for instance, they, they tend to chop off lots of letters. So instead of saying para ti, they would say pati, like so for you. It just sounds like pati instead of para ti. They, there's a whole syllable missing. So I try to point out when for listening comprehension, this is what you need to be aware of about the accent. But you also need to be aware of how this, what the standard sort of um, pronunciation is uh, for these words. So I do talk a lot about just sort of what's prescriptive and then sort of what's practical. And, and I try to get people to be comfortable with understanding different accents, but also understanding as they're speaking the language, they need to be aware of uh, their own pronunciation. So, so yeah, I think I am, I am sort of biased towards the Caribbean. <laughs> I think that's where all the best music comes from too. So yeah, uh, it makes it quite easy because <laughs> a lot of the features that, and you know, the interesting thing, that music is worldwide. So we people say, oh, it's Caribbean or it's Latin American. But I had an exchange student stay with me a few years ago and she was from Spain and she was you know, a teenager. And she said that she listens to Romeo Santos, who is a Dominican artist who lives in New York, right? <laughs> and sings a genre of music called bachata, which is from the Dominican Republic, which is half of an island in the Caribbean that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but they know who Romeo Santos is because he's traveled the entire world. Same thing with like Celia Cruz, who's from Cuba, but she's traveled everywhere. I um, mean, people know her and know her music. So by that token, are familiar with the accent, are familiar with uh, some of the sayings and things from that culture. So it really has become international. Um, but I, I do try to focus on understanding the difference between things that are colloquial versus sort of more standard. All this talk of music, it's really making me want to go back and kind of bust out my old uh, salsa. I've got so much salsa <laughs> music at home. I, I lived in, I had my own salsa band in London as well for a while. I used to like do gigs. Oh, wow. Salsa. So it's really making me nostalgic. How do my last question for you? How do how do, how do the features of music like like rhythm, melody, and even the narrative of songs themselves help you learn and remember words and phrases and grammar more easily? Well, say the first thing is it grabs your attention, right? So rhythm uh, has this way of grabbing onto our memory, right? So if we're listening to to just noise, right, like the difference between hearing. You know, maybe you hear a dish fall on the floor, or you hear a bird outside, or we have all these sounds that we can hear that are just noise, right? But as soon as there's a melody or rhythm put to it, it, it now sort of makes sense, right? It becomes something that's memorable. It becomes sort of a chunk that we put in our memory. It's repeated. And now we, we kind of want to sort of know the resolution of that rhythm. So look like you could imagine if someone started singing a song and they stopped in the middle, right? Like, do, re, mi. It's like, you want to hear the rest of it, right? So there's something about the brain that wants the resolution of of what you're hearing and that rhythm sort of uh, grabs you into. Um, and also I would say, you know, there there are songs that tell stories that do have narratives and we're naturally driven to want to know how a story is going to turn out, which you know well because you teach through story, that there's something about the human brain that wants to know how the story is going to turn out. And I think when you have high interest, that's one of the key components of memory, right? You're, you're, you're not going to remember things that are boring or uninteresting to you because you probably won't pay enough attention to them to, to even notice them, let alone retain them long term. So I think all of those elements kind of come together. And then music also has repetition. 
which we know people always repetition is the mother of learning, but having that repetition sort of built in means that you're less likely to forget it. So if you think about the chorus of like your favorite song, it's drilled into your memory. You can't forget it if you wanted to. You know, I think even people who, who end up with dementia and Alzheimer's, they still like remember <laughs> some songs sort of like in the back of their mind. So it really does sort of worm its way in into your brain. So, so like I said, I mean, I, I know I've had students who, you know, have told me that they had experiences in real life where they're actually in a conversation and they can sort of recall a phrase uh, from a song um, and vocabulary, it all just sort of sticks together. So it's really hard not to memorize um, something when it has a melody sort of built into it um, because it just naturally grabs our curiosity, it grabs our interest, and it, it really connects itself to our to our memory. And especially when you're just listening to these songs over and over again as well, which you do with oh, good yeah. music, right? You have it in the car and you just like put it on repeat. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just ringing so many bells with the, you know, with the um, similarity with stories, like you mentioned, you know, the fact that one song, it's like a micro story in a way, a well-written song tells mm-hmm. an amazing story. I've been listening, been going back to a lot of Disney songs recently, and I'm just amazed at how much story can be told in a three or four minute song. If, you, if you're good at it, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Tamara, it's been so good to talk. Thank you so much for the time um, and for such an inspirational approach to, to language learning as well. I absolutely love it. Where can people go to find out more about you? Sure. So uh, SpanishConSalsa.com, that's my main website if you're interested in just learning about what we do. Uh, also, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can check out my podcast, Learn Spanish Con Salsa. Uh, we have new episodes every Tuesday and we talk about learning through music. We talk about culture. We talk about traveling. Uh, so if you if you want a playlist, <laughs> uh, you can check out the podcast and I break down uh, the meaning to lots of different songs on the show every week. Wonderful. Thanks so much. And, uh, well, I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully very soon, once uh, the world opens up again. Yes, <laughs> like the before times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the good old days. Thank you for listening to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast at LearnSpanishConSalsa.com. 